Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Sean Bono. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Today we are on part 12 of our 13-part series, Rise and Build. Hard to believe that we're coming close to the end of this great series. And you know, as I was preparing for this message this morning, I discovered some research that was conducted by an analytic group called Words Rated. And they state that there are, on average, 20 million Bibles that are sold each year in the United States. 20 million Bibles. That means that about every 10 seconds, there are six Bibles that are being sold. Now that's an amazing statistic, that's an awesome statistic, but to put it in perspective so we can truly appreciate the ease of access that we have to a Bible, there is also this organization called the Voice of the Martyrs. They're a missionary organization. And they report that currently there are 52 countries in the world where it is either illegal, highly restricted, difficult or dangerous for you to have a Bible. But they also report that in those countries there are still people who have such a hunger for the Word of God that they are willing to risk harsh consequences just to read a Bible, to read it and to hide God's Word in their heart. You know, there was an article that was submitted by a pastor in Hawaii. His name was Pastor Cadero. And he went on a mission to China And his goal was to conduct some secret leadership training meetings for the Chinese Christians. And so he was holding these workshops in the Hunan province. And he tells how there were 22 Chinese Christians, both men and women, who traveled up to 13 hours just to attend one of these workshops. He told about these men and women who knew that if they were caught at this workshop, they would risk imprisonment. In fact, 18 out of the 22 had already been in prison for their faith, yet still they came. And so he opened up the session by asking them to turn in the Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. And he had with him 15 Bibles, so he passed those out, but he knew that because there were 22, there were seven people that would just have to share. And so, as they began to read together chapter one, he noticed that one of the women who he had given a Bible to, she took that Bible and she handed it to the person next to her. And instead of like looking and reading and sharing, he noticed that her eyes were forward and she recited the whole chapter from memory. Well, he was intrigued by that. And so during a break, he went up to her and he said, I noticed that you were able to read that chapter from your memory. That's incredible. And she said, well, in prison, you have much time. And he was startled by that because he said, I thought that when you were in prison, they take away your Bibles, they take away any Christian material that you would have. And he said, she said, that's true. But you see, there's people who write scriptures on pieces of paper and they smuggle them into the prison and then we take those pieces of paper and we memorize those scriptures as quickly as we can so that we can hide those scriptures in our heart because we know they can take away the paper but they cannot take away what is hidden in our hearts. 
When I read that, I was convicted. (laughs) They have such a hunger for the word of God to read it, to devour it, and to hide it in their hearts. Now this morning, we're gonna look at four lessons that we're going to learn from the people in Jerusalem who have just finished completing that wall that surrounded Jerusalem. And one of the first lessons we're going to learn from them in Nehemiah 8 is the importance of having a hungry heart for the Word of God. The kind of hunger that these Chinese Christians could relate to. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, And all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel to obey. I want you to notice that it says, the people, they asked Ezra to read from the book of law. And so that's what he did. He stood on a high wooden platform. To his left and to his right were 13 of the religious leaders, the Levites, standing with him. And then we read in verse 5 that when they saw him, Ezra, open the book, they all rose to their feet. Out of reverence for the word of God, they stood up. Ezra read from dawn until noon. And they stood in reverence as they listened to the word of God. In fact, it says in verse three, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. They were so hungry for the word of God that every eye was focused, every ear was tuned in. They didn't want to miss one word that was being read. You see, Ezra didn't have to command the people to be there. He didn't have to command them to stand and to listen for five to six hours as he read from the book of the law. Because you see, these Jerusalem Jews, they had a hungry heart for the word of God. You see, these Jews didn't have a copy of the book of the law in their homes. You see, there weren't 20 million scrolls that were printed every year. You see, the law of God could only be copied by a scribe, someone like Ezra. And Ezra was a scribe, and as a scribe, he had to be trained. He couldn't just say, well, you know, I have really good handwriting, I'm really good at calligraphy, I think I can make a copy of the book of the law. No, they had to be meticulously trained. And every scribe regarded this task of making a copy of the book of the law as a very sacred, a very sacred task, one that would take them up to a year up to a year to copy, and they had to follow all of these precise procedures so it would prevent them from making any copying mistake. And because of the scarcity, and particularly because of the sacredness of these scrolls, the law of God wasn't kept in homes, it was kept in a synagogue or in a temple. Now in contrast, how blessed we are that we don't have to wait to coming to church on a Sunday morning to have someone stand behind this pulpit and open up the book of the law and read to you. We don't have to wait. So the cry of my heart is that we, who have such an ease of access to the word of God, that the Lord would give to us that intense hunger and reverence for the word of God. Now I know it is beneficial to listen to Christian podcasts and go to Christian websites and read Christian books that even help us understand the scriptures. But we cannot neglect the time 
of getting into the Word and reading God's Word for ourselves. That we have to be careful that we don't allow the business and the busyness and the distractions of life to take away that sacred time that we can read the Word of God, that we can hear His voice in the inspired scriptures, the Word of God that is a gift to us, but it's a gift we have to open. So the first lesson we learn from these Jerusalem Jews is the importance of having a hungry heart for the Word of God. But the second lesson is the importance of having a worshipful heart. You see, when Ezra stood and he opened the book of the law, this is what Ezra did first. Let's look at verse six. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Before one word was read, Ezra and the people worshiped the Lord with a heart of humility and reverence. They didn't worship him out of sense of duty or obligation. It wasn't out of a tradition. It wasn't out of a show of piety, but it was from a heart that had a great reverence for the Lord, that a heart that acknowledged his sovereignty, his greatness, and above all, his holiness. They had hungry hearts to hear the word of God, but they also had worshipful hearts. And you see, when we gather together on Sunday morning, it is not coincidental that we open every Sunday morning service with a time of what? Songs of worship. You see, it isn't about us being stirred in our emotion by the beauty of how they sing and how they play the music. The desire of our worship team is that everything they sing and as they play these instruments, that it would lead us into that place where we worship the Lord from our hearts. That it is a sincere reverence for our God, that we acknowledge His greatness and His goodness and His sovereignty. It is so important that we don't just sing the words of a worship song, but that our words become worshipful that it comes from that sincere heart. And you see, when we offer unto God that song of true praise, that's sincere and from our heart, this is the incredible blessing that we receive from the Lord. David states it in Psalm 22. He said, the Lord inhabits the praises of Israel, meaning his people. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, Church, we are his people. So the promise is, just as we experienced this morning, as we began to praise him, the Lord, he in what? Inhabits our praises. That means that he gives us that fresh awareness of his presence within us. You see, this is something that King Solomon understood. You see, he had built this glorious temple in Jerusalem. It was the first temple. It was an architectural wonder. But see, the heart of Solomon was that he didn't want this building to just be an architectural wonder. He wanted the wonder of God to fill that temple. And so on the day of dedication, as the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple, this is what they did. 
and the trumpeters and the singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments, they raised their voices and praised the Lord with these words, for he is good, his mercy, his faithful love endures forever. They had a worship service. They had the trumpeters and the singers lead everyone in beginning to worship and praise the Lord. And this is what happened in response to that sincere worship. And at that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled that temple. You see, what we're reading here is in the Old Testament, when the Old Covenant that God had that was established between the people of God, the Israelites, and God, one that came under the time of Moses. But you see, because of Jesus Christ, we are under a new covenant. And this is why we read this in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. See, under this new covenant, God isn't so much interested in filling a physical building. He wants to fill this temple. He wants to fill your temple. Isn't that awesome? That almighty God, that when we begin to praise Him, He says, I will come and I will inhabit your temple. What a powerful truth that we learn. So lesson number one is the importance of having a hungry heart for the Word of God. The second is the importance of having a worshipful heart. And the third is the importance of having a repentant heart. Ezra, after he opened up the book of the law, not only did he read the scriptures, but there was a time of instruction. Look at verse 8. And the Levites, the religious leaders, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. In other words, they had life groups. They had all the people, arranged them in groups, and the Levites became the life group leader, and the purpose was for them, not only that the people would hear the scriptures, but they would have that instructions so they could understand them. And what was the response of the people once they began to understand what had been read? Look at verse 9. For the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, we don't know exactly which passages of scripture that Ezra was reading that day. We do know that scholars tell us that the book of the law of Moses would have contained the books we know as as Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in those books, we find the Ten Commandments, God's moral law. We find Levitical laws, the laws that the people were to observe regarding offerings and sacrifices and festivals. There were also civil laws, how they were to govern themselves as a nation. But the book of the law would have also recorded the stories of how their ancestors, how God had been so faithful and loving and gracious to them, but how they so often had responded with unfaithfulness and rebellion. You see, I think they wept when they read those stories of the missed opportunities of their people. But I think they also wept 
because they realized that they too had disobeyed God's law. That there were laws that they were hearing, truths that they were understanding, that they too had been disobedient and unfaithful, whether intentionally or unintentionally. There have been laws that were forgotten, disregarded, and abandoned. And so they wept. But their tearful response wasn't just because they were sad or regretful. It was they wept because they had a repentant heart. And you see, David tells us that God does not reject a repentant heart. He responds with grace and forgiveness. Look at what David wrote in Psalm 51, Lord, you will not reject a broken and repentant heart. And this is a truth that is for us today. When we fall short, when we miss the mark, when we commit sin and the Lord begins to convict us, and when we truly repent, not just being sorry, but we are truly repentant, God extends to us His love and His grace and His forgiveness. But you see, what we must understand about repentance is that genuine repentance leads to genuine change. That repentance leads to obedience. This is why we know that the weeping of the people was not just because they were sad, that it wasn't just an emotional response, that their repentance was genuine because it led to an act of obedience. Because that's what a truly repentant heart does. It fosters an obedient heart. Repentance must lead to obedience. Which brings us to lesson number four, the importance of an obedient heart. You see, it was on the first day of the seventh month when Ezra first opened that book and read from it for five to six hours. On the second day, the second day of the seventh month, Ezra, along with the religious leaders, the Levites, the family leaders, they gathered together because they decided they wanted to study the book of the law in greater detail. And when they did, they discovered that there was a command that the Lord had given that had been forgotten. That there was a festival called the, the Festival of Tabernacles that was to be followed or observed every year. It was a command of the Lord that every year in the seventh month they were to celebrate this Festival of Tabernacles. So the leaders gathered the people together and began to explain to them that this is the seventh month and this is what the command of the Lord says that we are to celebrate this festival. And they began to explain to the people how they were to take branches of a shade tree, whether myrtle or olive tree or palm tree, and they were to construct these temporary shelters. And then for one week, instead of living in their comfortable homes, they were to spend time in these tabernacles. You go, why, why would God establish this festival of tabernacles? Why would he have them construct these temporary shelters out of tree branches? Well, because every year they were to be reminded of the truth, of God's faithfulness. That just as he had delivered their ancestors, the Exodus Israelites from Egypt, and how for 40 years they had wandered in the desert, in that wilderness, and they lived in temporary shelters called tabernacles. 
And so while they were each year, each of those 40 years, they were living in these tabernacles, God was faithful to them. During those 40 years, he, he provided his protection, his provision, acts of deliverance. And so the people were to celebrate what God had done for their ancestors, keeping his hand of watch and provision over them for 40 years. But it was also a command to celebrate this festival because it was to remind them of a promise God had made. See, God said that there would come a Messiah, one who would bring eternal deliverance, eternal protection, eternal provision. And so when they lived in those tabernacles, they were to remember what God had done, but they were also to celebrate what God would do. There would come this one who would be a Messiah, who would dwell with us, who would tabernacle with us. And isn't it interesting that the Apostle John reveals this truth in John 1.14. He said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, speaking how Jesus came, entered humanity, and dwelt among us. But what is fascinating is that the Greek word that we translate as dwelt comes from the word skenu, and the literal translation of skenu is to tabernacle. This is why in one translation, verse 14 reads like this, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Isn't that awesome? They were celebrating this festival hundreds of years before Jesus came and was the fulfillment. And he came and he tabernacled with us. So, when the people heard what their leaders were telling them about this festival, they obeyed. Look what we read in verse 16. So the people went out and they cut branches and they used them to build shelters on the roof of their homes and in their courtyards, in the courtyards of God's temple, and in the squares just inside the water gate and the Ephraim gate. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during the festival and they were all filled with what? Not a little joy, but what? Great joy. You see, when a repentant heart leads to wholehearted obedience, an obedient heart fills us with what? Great joy. That is so true for us today. You know, throughout the scriptures, there are certain verses that become what we call life verses. There are verses of scripture that really resonate with us, and we do hide them in our hearts. Like a verse like Psalm 46.1, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There's Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do these sound familiar? Are these life verses, right? How about Joshua 1.19, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Well, in Nehemiah 8, we find another one of these great scriptures. Words of encouragement that Nehemiah spoke over the people. He said, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. How many know that scripture? The joy of the Lord is our strength. And this truth that he declared over the people is a truth for us today. Because we are strengthened by the joy of the Lord, the joy that is ours because the Lord has saved us and redeemed us. 
There is a joy that we are strengthened by because we know that when we get in trouble, he is our very present help. There is a joy that is ours because the Lord will be with us wherever we go. There is a joy that is ours, and we're strengthened by that joy to know that God is with us, that, that whatever he has done in the past we can remember, and that can give us strength, but we have all the promises of what he will do. Truly, the joy that the Lord brings into our life because of everything he has done for us, that gives us strength. It strengthens our faith. It strengthens our relationship with him. But understand... I believe there's a flip side meaning to that verse. That there is also spiritual strength that we receive by embracing what brings the Lord joy. There is spiritual strength that we receive when we embrace what brings the Lord joy. So what brings him joy? What pleases the heart of God when we like the people of Israel, or people of Jerusalem, have hungry hearts for God's word. When we have a hungry heart for God's word, when we want to know his voice, hear his voice in his words, that brings him joy. When we have a worshipful heart, when we worship him in spirit and in truth, not out of duty, not out of, out of obligation or tradition, but when it is sincere worship from the heart, that brings him joy. When we have a repentant heart, when we are convicted of when we have sinned, where we've missed the mark, where we have fallen short, and instead of responding with excuses, justification, or shifting blame, when we response with, Lord, forgive me, for I have sinned. When we have that repentant heart, that brings him joy when we have that obedient heart, when we say, Lord, not my will, but your will, not my preferences, but your truth, O oh Lord, that's how I'm gonna live my life. When we have an obedient heart, that brings him joy. And here is what is so incredible about our God, that the condition of our heart, a hungry heart for his word, a worshipful heart, a repentant heart, an obedient heart, when the condition of our heart is what pleases the Lord, that brings him joy, that gives us strength. The condition of our heart that brings him joy strengthens our relationship with him, strengthens our faith. And so this morning, as the worship team comes, I think it's so important for us to heed the words that we find that King Solomon gave us in Proverbs 4. He says, above all else, guard your heart. Why? Because everything you do flows from it. He's saying, above all else, number one, top priority is guard your heart. Because what comes out of your mouth, your actions, your reactions, the choices you make in life, it comes from where? The heart. It flows from the heart. This is why it's so important for us to say, Lord, check the condition of my heart. You see, oftentimes we have a different perception of what our heart looks like. See, we need to do a regular heart check where we say, Lord, what do you see as the condition of my heart? Not what I think you see, 
Lord, what do you see as the true condition of my heart? Where have I let the guard down? Now the worship team is going to sing this song called Linger. Linger is really a prayer that's set to music. And as they sing, and you know, usually we stand and we, we sing it with our worship team. But this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different. I'm going to ask that you would just remain seated, that you would be in an attitude of prayer. Even as they sing, I'm going to ask that you just close your eyes so you eliminate any visual distractions. And in that quiet place, you'll listen to the words of this prayer. In fact, there's one line that says, Lord, you are my sanctuary. You are my upper room. You know what that speaks to? It speaks to that quiet place, that sacred space where God can be honest with us. Where we can say, Lord, what do you see as the condition of my heart? And then there's going to come a point in the song where just the instruments are going to play. And as we are in that attitude of prayer and our eyes are closed, just the instruments are going to play. And at that moment, I'm going to ask you to ask God to check your heart. Maybe ask the question, Lord, do I need a greater hunger for your word? Do I need to set aside time to really read your word and hide it in my heart? Do I need a more worshipful heart? Do I need a greater awe and reverence for you so that when I praise you, you will inhabit that praises and make, give me that fresh awareness of your presence in this temple? Maybe your prayer will be, Lord, do I need a repentant heart? Instead of making excuses or justifications, do I have that sincere, repentant heart? Or maybe your prayer will be around the question, do I have that obedient heart? Am I willing to say your will, not my will, and mean it, to live it? This morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that isn't easy. It's having that encounter with the Lord where you say, Father, create in me a heart that brings you joy. So I'm asking now if you just quiet yourself, be in that attitude of prayer, just bow your heads, and just listen to this prayer.